Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to the second episode of Recode Decode on Recode Radio. You may know me better as the person who makes Mark Zuckerberg sweat, but I also have capabilities in the audio space. And we're here to talk about the issues that are important to you about technology and the media. If you're overwhelmed by the tidal wave of digital change taking over the world or interested in the key players running that world, we're here to help. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the big issues in tech and in the media and the people who thought them up and dig into what it all means. And this week in the red chair, which has to do with the chairs we have on our stage at all the code events, we call them the hot seat, it's Ashley Vance, writer for Bloomberg Businessweek and author of Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the quest for the fantastic future. We'll see if it's so fantastic. Uh, Vance's book, which came out in May, is an authoritative and detailed look at one of Silicon Valley's most well-known personalities and the multi-billion dollar businesses he's built. Is Musk daffy, savvy, brilliant? All of the above? We'll see. For more on that, here's Ashley Vance. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you for having me. So you've been on this book tour. We were just talking about the idea of a book tour, which is sort of dead, correct? It does, seems to be that way. <laughs> so you, you, you talk a little bit. I want to talk about your background a little bit. You've been a reporter at lots of places, correct? Yeah, I've been, you know, I sort of started out in trade publications. Then I went to the Register, which is sort of this mm-hmm. sarcastic British site. Then uh, the New York Times and then Business Week. So you, how did you get to, to Elon Musk? Because you were writing for the Times, you were writing for all kinds of tech things in the early days, and then you moved on to Bloomberg. What what possessed you to take on Elon Musk? It's a little because he's like not like a, dead. He's yeah. not, you know what I mean. He's not. <laughs> well, it's unlikely too. I, I never covered Tesla or SpaceX as like a beat company, and and um, uh, it was really it was like 2012. Well, even you know, I'd even thought. Elon had never even been on my radar. I thought he right. was more of like a blowhard than right. anything else. And uh, then in 2012, I mean, SpaceX docked with the ISS. Tesla came out with the Model S and mm-hmm. Solar City went public. And I thought, okay, all the stuff this guy's been talking about for ages is finally coming true and, and like in pretty good shape. And then I did a cover story on him for Business Week. And I'd been looking for a book to do. And, you know, when I went to see the Tesla factory and the SpaceX factory, those both blew me away. And then Elon was much more interesting. I sort of chalked him up to just total techno-utopia and kind of a one-note Why is that? Because you had not spent time with him? or I hadn't spent time with him. And then just when I'd hear him speaking in public, it always sounded sort of in that um, – I mean, I do – I like Peter Thiel and stuff, but that same sort of camp. We're going to – tech's going to fix everything. And, right. and, and um, then, you know, I mean – Well, it's usually they're talking in the context of a photo app, so that's why they so seem like – Exactly, yeah. Imbeciles. And, you know, and when you go – you've interviewed Elon. I mean, when mm-hmm. he – you know, he answers – he actually answers your questions. He's He sort of puts some thought into it. and he, So he was a much better interview than I thought. And, um, and then sort of exactly to your point, I mean, I'd grown cynical, cynical about the Valley, was sick of apps and web services and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. here was a guy with factories. And so that's what I wanted to do. So you, so you started writing the book. Did you get his cooperation right away? I, I'm, I'm unclear because he's complaining about you a lot. Right. So no, we'll get to I, that. Did, I did not. I mean, you know, I told him after I did the cover story, we had a pretty Was good, it a nice cover story? It was one of those big yeah, wet kiss cover stories? It was, or what? Uh, it, was, <laughs> it, was it was very Pro Elon, yeah, okay. and uh, so we had a good savior of the world. What was the tone? I mean, it was mostly it was about this. In, I mean, I focused on the machines and the factories. Here's this industrialist that mm-hmm. he's kind of like the new mm-hmm. industrialist we've been mm-hmm. looking for type thing. Um, 
And have then, we been looking for an industrialist? I didn't know that, but thank you. I mean, I feel, I feel, okay. I would like to see some people doing some Meaningful interesting things. stuff. Yeah, yeah, with machines. I mean, I, I'm like a Silicon Valley history buff, so I miss all the semiconductor fabs and, and mm-hmm. all that. So, um, no, he didn't cooperate at the beginning. You know, I told him what I wanted to do. He said, no, I think I want to write my own book. Then, Which he is. R- yeah, but this was, this was like a couple years before he even mm-hmm. set out on that. And then, uh, then I sold the book in New York, and then I went back to him, and I said, I sold the book. Now will you cooperate? And he turned me down. And then I just spent 18 months interviewing hundreds of people, and then he, um, he called me at home one evening. It was just on the caller ID, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, he had read this book, book that somebody had done on Larry Ellison called Soft War, I mm-hmm. think, where Larry got to put footnotes in the book, and Elon liked that idea. Ah. Yeah, and so... The, um, so can I write it for you, in other words? He was, he was being pretty well-behaved about it. He said, I won't change your text. I just want to set the record straight and, mm-hmm. and read it first. And then we had this long dinner, and um, I had this, like, 45-minute speech prepared to talk him out of all that, and I got, like, five minutes into it, and, and I don't know why, but he just said, okay, just do your thing, and I won't read it, and... Off I went. And you had co-op, t- you and talked then, to him. Yeah, sorry. And then he agreed to do interviews to give me access to the company executives and all that stuff. So so you so you spent 18 months doing the whole thing, correct? No. I mean, that was like the first day. There was sort of like before Elon and then after Elon. So all told, I mean, the whole thing was like two and a half years. So you, so what was the, what was your point in this book? Now, again, we're talking about, I have this premise that I always talk about where Silicon Valley is a lot of uh, uh, smart people doing stupid things or or they're taking on small, big minds taking on small ideas, which is a thing I talk about a lot. And it seems that that's always the case. They're not dealing with poverty or transportation or big issues, but they're dealing with little issues. And Leon definitely does talk about space and travel and, and things that have more substance to them. I think so. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not, um, I mean, Elon's sort of like, the hero of the book and stuff, but I'm not in the Elon fanboy camp, I guess. But I am into what he's making. I mean, the to me, he, one of the like th- a thesis in the book is that you know he's kind of the best guy we have right now at combining atoms and bits together. If you look at aerospace and automotive, I mean, the state of the software in those industries is pretty poor, and and he's definitely had this huge modernizing effect on all that, and. Um, has taken kind of consumer electronics into these areas where they hadn't played before. Right. And, um, I mean, it's really interesting what, um, what they've done. And then, you know, I mean, Tesla gets a lot of attention, but SpaceX is probably sort of maybe his, his biggest and most, like, unlikely achievement. And that was a story that I really was into as well. well let's talk about those things specifically in a minute, but I'm talking about him as a personality. Yeah. Um, you know, we interviewed him on stage at, at uh, I think, the All Things D conference, one of the last ones. And the, 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 the man crushness in the room was palpable for men. It was really, and women too, but yeah. it was really, people had a real man crush. And I mean, I'm not sure what that, and there's, not that there's anything wrong with that, as you know. I live in San Francisco, so yeah. it's perfectly fine to yeah. have man crushes all the time. Um, but it really was fascinating because people were looking for a hero, I think, since Steve Jobs died or someone to look up to. And they just, you know, he's, he acts sort of like the Tony Stark character. He's got elements of, you know, there's, there's, there's exoticness with his being South African. Yeah. Um, he has, he's funny. He's self-deprecating. He's a little pompous. Um, and so he really wowed the room in a way that was fascinating. I found it really interesting. And I understand that fanboy. Talk a little bit about that, because Silicon Valley does not have a hero, and they sort of need one. It's kind of inane and juvenile, but at the same time, it's important. I mean, I think you're exactly right. The interview was great that you guys did. The, um, I mean, I get these emails from people all the time. I see it at these events. I go to the Tesla events. You know, when I first started the book, it would be like, 
a couple hundred people and Elon would come out on stage and they were already, Tesla's always had these kind of true believers that have, have like really bought into Elon when it made no sense because mm -hmm. the cars were crappy and expensive and, and they still sort of believed in him. Um, as time has gone on and he's actually delivered on some of the stuff, I mean, it's grown and grown and grown. And now you go to a Tesla event and Elon comes on stage and everyone's screaming. I mean, it's totally like Steve Jobs sort of thing. And, um, you know, I would hear it from these young entrepreneurs all the time. It's like, we want to be like Elon. And, and it's kind of funny because they're not sort of making anything <laughs> like right. what he does. But, right. um, you know, I think I think in Silicon Valley, at least for a certain class of people, he completely is the next Steve Jobs already in their, their why head. Do, why do we need one of those? What, what's, the, what's the impetus to have someone like that? It's funny because, I mean, Silicon Valley always seems to have had sort of, it was like Bob Noyce, and, mm -hmm. then, and then obviously you get Jobs coming along, and there, there seems to be kind of this leading, Hewlett and Packard before Bob Noyce. I mean, it seems to be this um, figure that's sort of either setting the trend from like a cultural standpoint, y y you see it as well with Google. Like, this is how you should run your office. I don't right. know why. I mean, the Valley, you know, probably shame on Silicon Valley because there's sort of a follower kind of mentality. One company does something interesting and then everyone seems to like mimic it a bit. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess they, they, they want to have this larger than life character to sort of believe in. So does he live up to that? Tell, tell me about him as a person. He does in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, the Tony Stark thing is... Um, this is from Iron Man. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of jokey on one level. On the other level, you know, Elon's the only guy we have that actually, like, lives in Hollywood and hangs out with movie stars and... Dates uh, them, presumably. Yeah, yeah. Well, his, his on-again, off-again wife is a British actress. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, so... And then he, he's the guy. He is the guy that has this crazy... He's got a rocket factory in the middle <laughs> of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's not like... Uh, on the, it's right by LAX. It's insane. And um, so, you know, and then he always, he likes to be at like the Super Bowl and the big fight. And he seems to always want to be where these big events are. He's definitely not as kind of uh, suave as Tony Stark or, mm -hmm. or sort of has that. He has a charisma. Well, that's but, a fictional character. Right, so. right. <laughs> but, you know, he doesn't have Played that. Played by Robert uh, Downey Jr. It, he just doesn't have that sort of, uh, he's not like a smooth operator Yeah, kind he doesn't of guy. have a suit or anything right. like that. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he'd so in some ways he lives up to it. Um, in some ways he's, he's like the guy who still has fun just going to the Lego movie with his kids or whatever. And right. it's probably like. But what, tell me what he's actually like, because is, does, he, does he want to be like that? Is that something he's trying to do? Is that PR? Or is that, what is that? I think part of him does want to be like that for sure. Elon's got a huge ego. Uh, he enjoys... I think he enjoys all that. I mean, I think as his celebrity and wealth has risen, he's fully enjoyed all that. Um, I was outside of like a movie premiere, premiere with him one time, and I said, you know, you're not really like Tony Stark. He's in the back of the Humvee drinking scotch and all that stuff. And then Elon kind of took offense at it. He said, you know, I've been to Haiti, and I drank some drink called the zombie while I was canoeing down this, this river. I mean, so he, <laughs> se he seems to, he didn't deny it or anything. Uh -huh. um, I think. Why was he canoeing in Haiti? I'm not going to. It's a long story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so he's. So, tell me what he's. What what you think the attributes of success are for him right now? For and, him, and I want to talk about the challenges because there's a lot of. It's a very dicey situation he's in with many things. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's uh, talk about the success part. What do you think makes him different from other people? You know, he he certainly outworks people. I mean, it is this sort of outwork, out hustle. Um, kind of outcompete. I mean, he is ruthless on a level that I don't know most people are kind of willing to go to. It, like, business is war for Elon. Just give and, me a, an example of that. You know, you've seen it um, throughout 
his companies throughout the all of his companies. I mean, at Zip2, at PayPal, he was essentially thrown out of these companies yeah. where he was the largest shareholder and the, the co-founder of the company. So that gives you a sense of, I mean, to throw out the largest shareholder and CEO is not an easy thing to do. Uh, at Tesla, you've seen this huge battle between Martin Eberhard and Elon over the years about who founded the mm -hmm. company. Then what we've seen is with the rest of his companies, you know, he puts all of his money into them, A, yeah, as like their high-risk ventures, but also so that he has total control of the companies and nobody can ever do this to him again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you even like Jeff Bezos sort of uh, messing with him around rocket launch pads and things like that. I mean, Elon in the press is, is sort of like ripping him to shreds. No, he doesn't mince words on any of this stuff. I mean, he, he's tough. Talk a little bit about his background. Does that have anything to do with it? He sort of has a fascinating background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was doing the book. I don't think I fully understood until I dug into his childhood. I mean, it sounds like armchair psychology, no, but it's pretty I think obvious. We're all a product of whether our parents <laughs> hugged us enough or yeah, not at all. Yeah, I mean, he has got a bunch of things going on. He was, he was a bright kid and and was super into books and everything. But you know, the sense that I got was was certainly like his family loved him. But outside of that, um, at school, he was either being bullied really badly, like kicked downstairs and kicked in the head, or he was being completely ignored. You know, I couldn't find one person that counted him as like a close friend or, or hung out. And, and everyone, in fact, said he was the guy that nobody thought about. He, he didn't really piss people off or make them happy. He's just the guy that nobody thought about. And then at home, you know, he has this horrendous relationship with his dad. Today, his dad's not allowed to like meet his kids or anything like that. And mm -hmm. Elon's a little... There's several internet people like that that may, people might not know about. Well, yeah, and even uh, like Bezos Jobs, Larry Ellison, it's all it's a fairly similar kind of story um, in some ways of sort of like a rough relationship Child. with the parents. And yeah. um, and then, you know, and his family was just not, you were talking about love. and I mean, it's, it's not like a warm, cuddly family at all. And so... Did you meet the father? Um, I, I didn't meet the father. I spent a lot of time with Elon's brother and his mom and his cousins. Um, Elon's relationship with his dad is kind of so messed up that it, it was... Um, Where is his father now? He lives in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And what does he do? He, well, he, he, was very, he is an engineer. I mean, he's probably mostly retired now, but he was, uh, he was a very successful engineer doing um, con large construction projects and things like and that. And what was the heart of their problem? Well, Elon and Kimball and a couple other people, Kimball's Elon's brother, they, um, you know, they would sort of get to the edge of it and never fully tell me. I mean, Kimball said that um, his dad would sit them down and like lecture at them for hours on end and not let them speak. And, and Elon talked about his dad playing all these like sort of psychological games with him. Elon always wanted to go to America. And, um, and his dad was like, well, um, you know, in South Africa, they had all these housekeepers and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, if you want to go to America, you're going to have to do everything. So he would make Elon like clean the house and cook and do all, do everything in the house to sort of teach him a lesson. And, and it just, and then, you know, in the book, there's a couple parts where Elon, you know, he's in tears. He's about to, like, say what it is. And he, and he says, like, um, you know, I don't know how a person becomes like that. Like, really horrible things without ever telling me exactly what so it abusive. was. So abusive. Yeah. You're talking I about mean, abusive. It, 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 it sounds, so did that drive him? Yeah. I mean, I think there's no question. You know, I think he's been on a quest to show people how special he is and, and also that he sort of like suffering and risk and all that. You know, Elon ends up running away from home at 17 with $100 in his pocket and goes to Canada. I mean, you know, so like the idea of risking all your money and stuff, I mean, it's not that far out for him. This has been sort of how he's lived. 
Although he grew up relatively wealthy. He grew up relatively wealthy, but, you know, he totally did. When he was 17, I mean, he ran away from home. He ends up backpacking through Canada for a year, working, like, really crappy jobs and um, sort of, like, has to find his way into school. And, and um, the, there's no question. I mean, he wasn't, like, poor growing up. but Well-educated. Yeah. Been, even just, you know, leaving the country where you're born and just going to the unknown at 17. I mean, I think that sticks with you. What do you think was a critical moment for him? Wow. Uh-huh. In his career, where do you think that, where things turned in the early days? And then we'll get to Tesla and SpaceX. You know, I, I think the less, at Zip2 and PayPal, when he was sort of forced out, what you saw was this guy, he'd been a know-it-all growing up. He was always sort of the smartest guy in the room. And, you know, I think he thought he could manage people in sort of that way at Zip2 and PayPal. And I think what he found was that when he was like berating people in a meeting, and telling them how smart he was and how they were wrong, that it so demoralized them that they couldn't get anything done after that. And that he, um, I think it was a real wake-up call when, when he, the PayPal coup in particular, he basically gets on a plane to go on a honeymoon with his wife, and the second it takes off, the, everyone he knows stabs him in the back and throws him out of the company. Mm-hmm. And we see after that he totally leaves Silicon Valley, he goes to L.A., you know, before he well, even they gets characterized that they stabbed him in the front and deservedly <laughs> so. so. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 but I mean, that's you know, I th- I think he had sort of a wake up call of, of mm-hmm. I have to be at least on some level kind of a better if I'm going to do the things that I want to do, I'm going to have to be a better manager of people and and sort of figure this out. And and this was like a conscious thing. I mean, he would talk to Justine, his his first wife. He's like, it's kind of weird. I mean, he's having like a conscious thing. I need to learn how to be kind of nicer to people to get them to do what I want. Yeah. So talk about the the beginnings of Tesla because he was kind of a a playboy. I remember him here. He wanted a picture in the journal in front of a Porsche, and I thought, what a what a douche, really. Well, yeah. I was sort of like he was sort of blowhardy. The same thing. There's actually this. The best thing ever is if you Google this. Uh, there's a CNN video where Elon gets his first McLaren, um, after, he's, McLaren. after he's made his money. And, I mean, he's just, like, starting um, PayPal. And, I mean, it's if you Google sort of Elon McLaren. He started X. Right, then, right. Yeah. And it turns into PayPal. I mean, this is um, sort of like Elon at his dot-com millionaireist. Yeah. And, and it's not a not the best look. No, yeah. he was one of the more irritating <laughs> people, as I recall. But has changed rather dramatically. Talk, talk a little bit about each of the companies, Tesla, the impetus for doing it, and then where it is right now. Where do you... I mean, Tesla's kind of, you know, Elon had always been into electric cars. I found these, like, papers he wrote in the college where he was looking mm-hmm. at this stuff. And then there's kind of a funny thing that happens around 2002 where um, this guy, J.B. Strobel, who's now the chief technology officer at Tesla, he was this clever Stanford kid who'd been looking to do an electric car startup. And these two guys, Martin Eberhard and Mark Tarpening, they were looking to do the same thing. Elon was looking to kind of fund one, and these guys all get together and... Um, no VC would put any money into this thing. So Elon bankrolls the entire thing. And then for the first few years, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's your Silicon Valley garage story, although like actually in a car car garage. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's basically 20 to 30 clever kids from Stanford who sort of bring this thing to life. And then it ends up just being, um, the roadster, the first car, the sports car was such a disaster from a cost perspective. And it was so hard to build, um, that Elon eventually ends up 
becoming CEO of the company after three or four years and deciding that he has to take it over. And where is it now? You know, he still is pugnacious fighting with car companies. Is he more cooperative now, or what is his... You know, they've tried different things. He, he had the famous yeah. fight with the reviewer. Yeah, I mean, he's not... No, I mean, he's still just as pugnacious, I think. He, he, it, it's interesting now. So the, their second car, the Model S... Uh, I think it did better than even like Elon would have thought. I mean, it's still a niche car; it's very expensive. But they're they're selling fifty or sixty thousand a year. The car could have been a total flop. Instead, mm-hmm. even the Detroit reviewers hailed it as like maybe the best car ever built. So this was like, this was a, a success. They've struggled a lot since then to get like a follow-on vehicle. Mm-hmm. They're taking on all this other stuff with battery fact. I mean, Elon's essentially bet the entire company again. He sort of has this moment of success, and now they've had to raise billions of dollars for this battery factory and, and to produce their other cars. And so, um, and we have not seen a mainstream thirty to thirty-five thousand dollar car at all. And that's supposed to come in like twenty seventeen, which in Elon time is probably like twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, until that happens, I don't know that we could declare Tesla some sort of success. But um, Detroit's responding to them in a big way, especially sure. the software and the technology inside right. the car. What kind of impact are they having? Do you imagine them getting bought, or what, what will happen to this car I think company? they're too expensive to get bought now. I mean, they're like half the value of GM. So you would have to be, I mean, it's like a pretty short list of people. And then, you know, I think Elon has, until they get like a mainstream electric car, and Elon feels like, I did what I promised I would do, um, I don't think he trusts anyone else to run the company. I mean, that's what he would tell me. You know, mm-hmm. there's a... Uh, there's a story in the book where he almost does have to sell to uh, Larry Page at Google because Tesla's running out of money right before the right as the Model S is coming out, and um, and you know Elon was agonizing. Even that Larry Page is kind of his buddy. Mm-hmm. He put all these terms. He'd set up all these terms where Elon would get to keep running the company for like five years mm-hmm. and, and to see things through. So, do you what do you imagine is going to happen to it? Is it is it is it is it a viable independent car company? or Will this be taken over by Apple and Google and uh, and Ford or whoever? No, I mean I I'm you know I'm way more positive on Tesla than when I started doing the book. I think I mean they they're in a they need to get over this hump. Get this next this Model X is like this SUV. They need mm-hmm. to get out. They need mm-hmm. to prove a lot of stuff. But um, you know they are like years ahead on the software inside of the car. Every time I tried to get Ford or GM sort of, um, you, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, I mean, I was underwhelmed as to what they were coming up with. So, right. no, no, I think they, I mean, they're completely viable. Where are these cars going to, self-driving or just an electric vehicle? I mean, is is he going to be, is it going to go right to self-driving or what, That's what do you what, imagine? Yeah, I mean, he. it's pretty funny because we didn't hear any rumbles about self-driving cars from Tesla and then all of a sudden... There was an event like two or three months ago, and Elon announces this autopilot feature. Then he talks about you can summon your car to you, and mm-hmm. and uh, I'm still not. Maybe for press. I'm kind of skeptical, I, I, right? Cause call me cynical. It's so the owners do have like this autopilot feature, but it seems to be sort of comparable to what you could get from other high-end cars. Um, sort of the automatic cruise control, like you know, in my neighborhood in Mountain View, I see Google testing like dozens of cars all the time. I don't see any Tesla cars, so I don't know where they're. Doing all this stuff, it just strikes me that Google would be ahead on that type of technology. But Elon keeps claiming that they're ahead. Right. So you, um, SpaceX, as you said, was the more important company. Why is that? Well, I mean, it may, it's it's sort of the most fantastic of his companies, I think. I mean, the, they just blew up another. I mean, they have. Well, that was the first. That was it. Was pretty sad. That was actually the first one they've had blow up since mm-hmm. like the very beginning. Right. Um, Which so is, of course, what anyone remembers. Right. Right. Instead of the ones that delivered yeah, the payloads. No, right. I mean, they'd been on this. Amazing run. Well, you know, first of all, 
like a, a private company like this should not really exist. They're competing against nations that have been mm -hmm. at this for decades with billions of dollars. The way they started, I mean, Elon wanted to be like the southwest of space, and they couldn't find anywhere to launch in the beginning days of the rocket company, so they were out on this island called Kwajalein that's in the middle of the Pacific, and, and these young engineers had to live there for like two years, and, and uh, you know, the rockets would blow up there, they would get salt on them, and, and horrible things would happen, and, and so it was like this very unlikely tale that it's come to be, and then, like we were saying, I mean, they, they started to get really consistent, they were launching a rocket almost every month, they've got like eight billion dollars in backlog of, of launches, it's not space tourism, it's sort of taking satellites up, mm -hmm. and supplies for the International Space Station, and... Um, you know, so I think it was like the highest risk thing he could have done, and it ended up being pretty consistent. And 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 they have. I mean, it's pretty funny too. In 2012, when I really started the book in earnest, they were still sort of this underdog, and and were really dismissed by Arian Spas and the Russians. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, every single major space program has had to start a reusable rocket program. They've all had to bring their costs way down. Like SpaceX is usually about like a fifth of what other people charge. Um, so they've, you know, they have changed the aerospace industry. And where again, do you imagine this goes? Is there room for a private space company? Well, there's a lot of attempts and Jeff Bezos is interested in this area. Yeah. There's all kinds of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it's interesting times too, because you've got all these startups who are throwing up, I mean, for better or Drones worse. Drones or lower, lower level. All the lower th orbit satellites. You've got people that want to do the internet in space, that mm -hmm. want to do all the imaging in space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like this project um, from these guys, OneWeb. Mm-hmm. So, like, a company like Arians Boss or SpaceX, which are the leaders in their field, would launch once a month. That would be, like, a banner year to have 12 mm -hmm. launches. And this company, OneWeb, is calling for, you know, hundreds of satellites to be sent up. I mean, you would have to be launching, like, once every week. And so um, the the aerospace industry, I, I still don't fully understand how they're going to have to change dramatically and really up mm -hmm. their game. And if, But if they did that, this is like a booming business, a booming, like, multi-billion dollar business. Right. So talk, we're going to finish up in a second. Talk about what he's going to do next. Is that It's plenty for him to do, a right. car and the space thing. And, right. uh, you know, he has this very big joke about, I don't, I want to die on Mars, just not on landing, essentially, mm -hmm. which is a very cute joke and stuff like that is he good at really colonize mars is that really his aim or is it just a it's like a little pt barnum kind of it's definitely his aim <laughs> i no, I, I like i completely believe that's authentic unless he's like lied to everybody he's ever talked to and yeah. himself on a really deep level i mean he colonizing mars to hit he's he's this very logical guy it's like we need a backup plan for the human species yeah i think um again you know he's talked about 2024 sort of for flights to mars so in elon time again that's you got to push that out a few years i think uh as far as like will spacex send something or someone to mars i would give it a pretty high probability there's this guy tom Mueller at spacex mm -hmm. who designs all the engines he's very capable he's told me they have the engine you know on in cad that would take them there they, they just have can't the come spaceship. back right you just have to stay no there. well elon no he has a thing where you would have it's pretty crazy so he thinks and this is not totally mm -hmm. borne out by the physics yet but mm -hmm. you know he thinks he has a rocket that you would send up and they would actually, he goes into this in the book, they would be able to make fuel on Mars and like a methane sort of thing. And you would have like a one or two day window where you could decide if you wanted to stay or come back. Well, to stay on Mars. Yeah. And build a, a Well, station. he wants to build a colony. So it's nuts. So he says, 
he goes through it in this very logical way. Every two years, the Earth and Mars get kind of close together for about a month. Mm -hmm. And so he's talking about in that month, you would have to do, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of launches of millions of pounds of equipment. And you would have to do that for like three or four decades. To build a colony there. Because he he wants like millions of people. He doesn't want like 50. (laughs) He he wants millions of people on Mars. Interesting. So last question. When you look at someone like him, I mean, I think it's hard to, it feels very genuine. It does feel very genuine. At the same time, there's been a lot of dreamers, and which is not a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Do you uh, do you mention he'll do something else? The sea, food, poverty. What? I don't think so. I mean, I think for Elon, because I have people, I see them on these like Elon Musk fanboy boards. Like, why won't he cure cancer? You know, oh, as, yeah. as if he could just like just do that if he put his mind to it. But mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I think for him, you know, because he doesn't do philanthropy. No, he doesn't. Like yeah. anything, like Buffett or Gates or anything. Um, I think he sees, you know, building a colony on Mars as like his contribution to the human species. If it's if Tesla and Solar City sort of curb greenhouse gases, I think he would see that as a huge achievement and his contribution. I mean, he's still he's still to be determined exactly what he is. You know, I mean, I think he was a dreamer. I think he's proven that he can do a lot more than maybe most people would have given him credit for. But like all this stuff is still a work in progress as to whether it has like a real dent on on the planet or people. And so um, unlike a Steve Jobs, there isn't this obvious sort of huge hit that everybody has in their hands. Right, right. Well, a colony on Mars would be a hit. If he he did a colony on Mars, Did he like the book? Because what happened with your back and forth with him? Did he like the book? (laughs) We had, uh, you know, after I finished the book... um, The no vacation thing you may not take off for your child. Right. Well, there were were like stages Mm -hmm. of, uh, of our relationship. I mean, right after I finished the book... He couldn't. It was like three weeks before it came out. He couldn't make any changes, but I let him see it so he didn't have to buy it at Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of pushed back on me on a couple things, and then he came back and he said, "Look, you know, I think it's well done, and most importantly, it's accurate." He gave me a ninety-five percent accuracy rating, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and then you know, then the three weeks passed, and then the press started doing like the most salacious quotes from the right. Elon Musk book, and then oh, he, the press. he did uh, he did react then. I think see, I don't know why, because he had read some of that stuff and he yeah. had not commented on it to me. And then right. I think just seeing how people were reacting to it sort of set him off. And um, I don't know like exactly where we're at now. Right. Yeah. So book two? <laughs> uh, on him or, or, on him no, or well. no? Yeah, I mean, I'm, the book's done really well, so that's nice. So people are asking me if I want to do another one, and I just I haven't picked anything yet. Great. And last question, what's the most interesting thing right now in Silicon Valley for you? The most interesting thing Very in briefly. the Valley? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I am super into all the, like, satellite stuff. That seems to be this really interesting time. And also, I mean, to me, biotech, I always get my hopes up, and then they my dreams get dashed. But, I mean, it seems like we are actually on sort of this this. You will get medicine. a sentient being, Ashley. <laughs> Ashley. Someday you'll have a robot. No, no, I don't want that. I want the uh, I want the the sort of personalized medicine stuff, like the much better sort of pills and all that. Seems like we're on the the cusp of that. Well, great. Yeah, Ashley, <laughs> thanks so much Thank you. for being here in the red chair. Thank you. You're listening to Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. If you're enjoying this episode, please share it with friends and remember to write a review on iTunes, but only nice ones. The mean ones you can send to me personally, Kara at Recode.net. Also, be sure to check out our other podcast, Recode Replay, for an extensive archive of audio content from our events, including full-length interviews from the Code Conference 
We also, I, I don't think we have the Elon one uh, because it's owned by News Corp, but we will have one soon, hopefully, a new one with him. Now we're moving on to Too Embarrassed to Ask. Each week we will have Walt Mossberg or Lauren Good or a member of our brilliant review team to talk about different issues that you are too embarrassed to ask about. Today we have Walt joining us to talk about photo apps, specifically Google and Apple. And we tweeted and asked your Too Embarrassed to Ask questions. And welcome, Walt. Great to be here, Kara. Okay, so talk a little bit about what, what's happening. Just set the, set the landscape for these two big companies in the photo department. Well, they both have just made major changes in their photo services. Um, Apple dumped iPhoto, which has been around forever, uh, on the Mac and brought out uh, uh, an all-new program called Photos. But more importantly, they basically set up a service called iCloud Photo Library, which puts all your photos on the cloud uh, uh for a fee after a certain amount of gigabytes. Google uh, had a photo service in the cloud, uh, but it was buried inside Google+, Plus, which is their not very well-used social network, and they've now yanked it out of there, made it a standalone thing. Uh, if you're willing to accept a certain resolution on your photos, it will be free. Uh, and so uh, their thing is called Google Photos, and the two of them compete. And are there any other big players in this area? There's a whole bunches of them, correct? Yes. You can uh, – all of the cloud storage people uh, like Dropbox and Microsoft and others will be happy to uh, take every photo you snap on your iPhone or Android uh, and store it in their, uh, in their uh, cloud service because, of course, from their point of view, the more stuff you put in there – the more you're going to want to buy more storage. So I find these things incredibly difficult to use. And you know, I haven't tried out the Google one, but we're going to ask some questions uh, from readers who have them. But first one, I think a lot of people were tweeting in, do you trust your personal photos with Google? But I think the same thing could be said for Apple. Right. So uh, I think it's a hugely important question. It is something I touched on briefly, uh, particularly in the Google review. Um, so Apple uh, does not... Uh, as you know, have as its business model the collection of data on people and the selling of advertising. It's just not very important to them. They see these kinds of services as reasons for you to be in their ecosystem and buy more very expensive phones and very expensive tablets and, and computers. And so it doesn't come up as often whether people will trust Apple. What comes up with Apple is it hasn't been very great at cloud services. And in fact, I complain quite a lot in my review about um, getting my photos in the cloud and how long it took and how it didn't always work perfectly right. Google, on the other hand, and you're right, there were, there were quite a few uh, uh, tweeted questions on this. Google is in the business of collecting a lot of information about you and targeting ads at you. And I will say that what they've said about the photos is they're completely private to you uh, unless you decide to share them. So that's a good thing uh, from the privacy point of view. They're a little vaguer on the question of whether they do anything with the knowledge that they get of where you've been and what you've done. And um, I think that that is something you have to consider when you think about entrusting anything to Google. Now, when you talk about uh, putting them up, you, should you make regular backups of these things now? That's another question from at PGC, which is Paul Kamerat. Um, should you make regular backups of these things? 
Well, uh, I think he's referring actually to um, a different kind of backup, but let me explain. Both of these things back up all your photos without you doing anything all the time on your different devices. Even on a Mac where Apple, of course, can do it automatically, Google has a uh, an automatic backup thing that you can actually see sitting in your menu bar and it will, you know, if you do a screenshot or you import a photo into your Mac, <clears throat> it'll go up to the Google Photos cloud and the same on, on your iPhone, of course, your Android uh, and your Windows. Um, so that is taken care of automatically. I think what that reader was asking was, in addition to this, in case for some reason you couldn't get them back right. or something happens, should you make, before you embark on this, should you make kind of a physical backup on a hard drive? At least that's how I interpret yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my answer to that is absolutely you should. Because what happens once you've done this is maybe not on your computer where there's plenty of space, but on your, your phone, whatever phone it is, um, you're only going to get a kind of low-res version of the photo. You may not notice it. It may look just fine to you. But the the main, the full res version is going to live on the cloud, and um, it's great because it frees up space on your phone. But you no longer have the full photo on your phone. Right. So I, I think making a, you know, buying a cheap, I don't mean crummy, but uh, you know, in, they're not very expensive hard disk that you can plug in, and taking the time to back up your photos before you do this is probably a good idea. So uh, at VJR says, where are the photos stored? I, in Magic well, there's, 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 come on, Kara. I don't know where they're stored. I don't know where this cloud is. Kara, they're stored. You're like Hillary Clinton. They're stored in your <laughs> private knows, server. She knows where all her they're stuff is. They're in your is. private server in your house. All right, no, okay. They're, they're in the cloud. You know, they're in the cloud. They're yeah. in either Google has giant data centers. Apple now has not as many, I suspect, but several giant data centers. And I think that's probably where they're stored. Okay, and but and the, uh, that they're there backed up twice, three times, or I just I have no idea. I don't know the details of how redundant the backup is. I'll be honest, but um, I know that in both cases you can download back the full photo if you want. Okay, here's a very technical question at Calvin M A I A underscore M I A whatever. Um, can I edit metadata? Uh, explain metadata, really Mossberg. Explain metadata because <laughs> most people don't go around saying, "Oh, my metadata." Metadata is uh, in, when it comes to photos has to do with the location, the time the photo was taken, what the camera was, what the lens setting was. Could be a whole bunch of things like that. Who's in it? What's the keyword? Is there a tag? Whatever. And the answer to that is mm, not so much. I, I, when I got that question, I actually went back and checked both services. It did not look to me like you could edit very much of the so-called metadata. And this is really a power user question. Mm -hmm. um, you can, especially in the Apple service, you can add keywords and, Tags um, and like that. faces. You can say, oh, this is Kara Swisher, uh, whatever, so, so that it will help you find it later. Tags, exactly. But um, – it did not look like an either service you could do something like change the location. Right. If the, if the camera says the picture was taken in Maryland, mm -hmm. uh, in Baltimore, 
uh, that's not editable. It doesn't look too much. Right, and you don't even know what other metadata is in there. It's like you took this picture and then you had an argument because we heard you on the phone and things like that. But this is just location. <laughs> this is just basic things like location and time. And Yeah, I'd be very interested if they could record I audio. I bet they can, Walt. There. You know they can. <laughs> you know the Borg, what the Borg is capable of. Right. Um, so how do you pro- – this is from at Paul Gailey – how do you proactively teach Google Photos? It was misclassified an object. I have no idea what that means. Okay, uh, you got to give me a, a quick minute of background. All right, please do because I don't understand so it at all. One of the one of the best things about Google service, which Apple does not have, is that um, Google actually uses the cloud uh, and the big heavy duty you know algorithms in the cloud to actually group types of things so you can add, without you doing anything so when you're looking at your photos and there could be tens of thousands of them uh, it will say oh here are pictures of skyscrapers it actually has an algorithm which says oh there's a skyscraper in this picture and it could be go back years go different cities whatever here's a picture of birds mm-hmm. here's a picture of the sky mm-hmm. here's a picture of you know, it will even infer where you were if you took the picture a long time ago on a camera that didn't have geotagging. So if it sees a picture of, you know, the Eiffel Tower or the Washington Monument, it figures out where you were. One of the things it does, though, is it makes mistakes sometimes. It'll say, well, these are cats. And then you look at it, and then they're not all cats. And they actually made a very big mistake. As somebody found uh, pictures of gorillas that were identified as pictures of humans mm-hmm. with dark skin mm-hmm. not such no. a good thing no. No. they had to immediately you know scramble and 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 deal with that um because they're trying to do this algorithmically so what the reader is asking about is can i go in and proactively tell it no this is never a cat or something and to, the answer is you can go in and tell it it made a mistake and that this particular picture it is not a cat but um, I could not find a way to do that proactively so that you could um, tell it now and forever this kind of thing isn't a cat. On the other hand, it's supposed to learn. So I suppose if you told it two or three times, maybe it would get smarter. Okay, final questions. Um, I'm going to ask them myself. G- can you give people tips? I mean, uh, people do Instagram, which is super easy, and other things like that. W- these photo apps are a little complex. I find myself getting lost in them. I mean, and there's no other way because you don't have photos anymore. You don't, you know, I had a, a bunch of photos in a suitcase that I just found the other day, which are much easier to go through and characterize and put in piles and things like that. What do you think the key things that have to happen in photo apps? What, what, what improvements would you like to see? Um, Well, I think Google and Apple both are moving toward trying to make it easier for you to find these things uh, by some form of characterization. The easiest one, of course, is date. Second easiest is location because the the smartphones tell you that. Um, And it actually – I would disagree with you a little bit. It's totally uncomplicated to get your photos into the cloud because once you allow it, the phone will just do it if the phone is talking your about camera, man- managing them like but how- managing them later you're right so google's bragging that it has this thing called people places and things which again is algorithmic it's not human curation and it just says oh um, here's a here's a bunch of pictures of the same person i have a bunch of pictures of you i know you're shocked but i have a <laughs> bunch of pictures of you and it it if I click on that, it will have made a couple of mistakes, but mostly it's pictures of you. 
it doesn't know or it says it doesn't know that it's you, although who knows, maybe it does. Um, but it does it does help in the sense that there's a bunch of pictures of you. There's a bunch of pictures of, you know, you mentioned Lauren Good, our colleague. There's a bunch of pictures of her. And, and they're different piles. So in that way, that's more like your suitcase of prints where you're making piles. It's trying to make piles for you. Apple doesn't quite do that. Apple lets you lets me say these are pictures of Kara Swisher. And then once it's done that, it will try to organize them in faces. But they've got a long they've both got a long way to go. Oh, well, that is a good thing to end on. Thank you, Walt. And next week we'll be back again on Too Embarrassed to Ask uh, with another pressing question of your uh, gadget confusion. Next, <laughs> <laughs> next up, Enough Said, where I get to say whatever I think of the news of last week. We'll also be bringing on other people over the course of the next couple of weeks to talk about various issues that are touching the tech and media community. And again this week I'm going to talk about Reddit because of the departure on Friday of Ellen Powell, its interim CEO, uh, many thought she was forced out because of the controversies around some management mishaps. About two weeks ago, Reddit's unpaid but powerful moderators forced a website shutdown of key parts of the service due to the firing of a staffer who was key to their work. Last week, those who joined in what became billed as a larger fight for the soul of the bumptious online community, claiming victory over POW, celebrating her exit with a triumphant claim, We Did It, Reddit. At the same time, many decried the POW departure, calling it the digital equivalent of a pitchfork mob attack. Said one person on Twitter, hell hath no fury like Reddit scorned. And that's certainly true because on Twitter, people immediately picked up on the irony of posting a thank you to POW for her work by the Reddit board, hovering over aggressively hateful comment section to which the company has again yielded. These are hateful comments, but I'm going to read them anyway. We are at slash r slash coontown, raising the Confederate flag of victory up. Or, what's the difference between POW and Hitler? Hitler had supporters. To say that POW didn't get the benefit of the doubt of the Reddit community is certainly an understatement when you read things like this, which were numerous throughout the service. Reddit's most upvoted links in the last week included vile and misogynistic attacks on POW, a continuation of what happened on the site during POW's gender discrimination trial against her former employer, Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers. While both POW and Reddit leadership insisted that it was a mutual parting of ways and not due to calls for her ouster, it's hard to shake the impression that she was not let go because of the controversy over the firing of that staffer. That's why it feels as if the company kowtowed a little bit to the noisy masses and its decision to sever ties at that moment of crisis talks a lot about the tensions in creating online communities. Sam Altman, who is on the board of Reddit, who will be our guest next week, we're going to be talking about these issues, did address it in a memo that he put out. As a closing note, he wrote, it was sickening to see some of the things Redditors wrote about Ellen. The reduction in compassion that happens when we're all behind computer screens is not good for the world. People are still people, even if there is an internet between you. If the Reddit community cannot learn to balance authenticity and compassion, it may be a great website, but will never be a truly great community. I think that's completely true, and we'll talk about that next week. But it seems to me it left me with a really bad feeling on how she was ousted. Said Elvin LePage in a tweet, which I think really characterized it, I love Reddit, but sometimes I hate Reddit as a group. This is one of those times. Thanks for listening to our second-ever podcast of Recode Decode on Recode Radio. We'll have a new episode each week. Next week, I talk to Sam Altman in the red chair. 
He's the head of Y Combinator and also on the board of Reddit. And we'll be talking about startups and where things are going in Silicon Valley. I'm Kara Swisher. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, Uber founder Travis Kalanick, reality star Kim Kardashian, Shark Tank host Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and more. They're all on Recode Replay. Thanks for tuning in.